where we're continuing our stories series, just looking at some of the, the important stories of the Bible and also talking about how we read some of these stories. This is another one that if you grew up in Sunday school or to go into vacation Bible school, you're probably familiar with, but you may not have heard in a while. We're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. You know, there's a lot of stuff we don't know about Jesus. We don't know what he looked like. We don't know a lot about his childhood or what he, what he was like sort of as he grew up. But what we do know from, from each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that at some point he puts down the hammer and chisel of uh, working the same trade as his father and starts a ministry. And to initiate that ministry, all three gospels, uh, all three synoptic gospels, give the same sort of intro stories. That Jesus, even though he's not, he has not sinned, goes to John the Baptist and is baptized for sin. And so he goes to the Jordan River. It's important to note this is right just above the Dead Sea, right about where Israel had come in to the Promised Land. And he goes under the water, and then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and to sort of prepare for ministry. And while he's there, he's sort of tempted. Now, when we hear wilderness, because you're in western Pennsylvania, you tend to think of wilderness being like woods, because that's what we have. The wild parts around here are woods. But the wild parts in Israel are not woods. They're desert and stone. Okay? It's a lot of rock. In fact, there's a picture in your bulletin of a, uh, of a church built into the side of a cliff, and it's covering a cave where Jesus, tradition says, Jesus may have stayed there during his 40 uh, days uh, in the wilderness. I, I, you can see the Jordan River from there. It'd be a natural stopping point on Jesus' way into the wilderness. Okay, but, but you've you got to imagine this as a 40 days in in the desert in stones in rocks okay very hot during the day very cool at night and so jesus goes through this whole 40 days and whenever we hear the number 40 we ought to hear that word and be thinking of a whole bunch of other 40s in the bible like noah it rains for 40 days israel is in the wilderness for 40 years uh, moses is actually in the wilderness before he comes back to, to Egypt to get the people out for 40 years. I mean, 40 years is this. In, in Jonah, it says that in 40 days, God is going to turn over this city. So 40 is this, this number of preparation, of getting ready, of following God's will. So for 40 days, Jesus is in the wilderness. He is fasting. You can imagine his skin doesn't look real good at this point. He's dirty. He's weak. How many pounds would you lose if for 40 days you did this? This is Jesus at his weakest. And now we get to Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, so remember this is at the end of the time, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, In his written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord God to the test. And when the devil has ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Satan waits, Satan waits to the end of the 40 days, and then he comes to Jesus and he starts to tempt them. And what's the temptations? I put them in your bulletin for you so you can kind of track along. To turn stones to bread, to worship him and give him authority, and then to throw himself off the temple and to be saved by angels. So, so let's walk through these and just notice the, the repetition that there's a couple things to watch for. One is notice Satan comes to Jesus at different angles and these are different kinds of temptations. So we want to pay attention to how they're a little bit different. Number two, watch because Satan lies in each of these temptations. And we want to pay attention to what the lie is. And then I want to pay special attention to the scriptures that Jesus uses to battle the temptations. So temptation one, Satan uses Jesus's hunger. Remember, he's been fasting for 40 days. Okay, if you didn't eat for 40 days, I bet every rock looks like a piece of bread, right? Except the small ones, they might look like Twinkies or something, but you're like, I gotta eat. And probably in this area, there's, there's a lot of stones that would be shaped a lot like bread. I mean, I mean, how easy would it have been for Jesus just to say, okay, sounds good. But Satan starts out with a lie. He says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, like if you're really the son of God, see, see already the doubt Satan's trying to put into Jesus's head. Like maybe you're not the one. Maybe, maybe you feel how weak you are. Maybe you're, maybe you're not actually God. So why not, if you're that weak, give in to your humanity? That's the temptation. The temptation is, hey, you're hungry. Why don't, you, why don't you give yourself what your body needs, what you want? Notice that Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus never does that. We never see Jesus in the Gospels do a miracle for himself. Like, like never does Jesus break a sandal and heal his own sandal so he doesn't have to walk around barefoot the rest of the day. Right? We, he never makes food for himself. He makes food for the crowd. He never heals himself. He heals everybody else. His power is not for him, it's for everybody else. And so the temptation is, hey, why don't you use your power to give yourself what you want? Jesus answers him that man shall not live by bread alone. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And here's, here's what, verse 2 and 3. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart whether you will keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you and led you hunger and fed you with manna, with bread, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make to you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if you actually track that scripture back, it gets really interesting, right? Because here's Jesus. He's spending 40 days in the desert right after he's come across the Jordan where Israel came into the land. And now he's quoting a scripture that goes back to when they were complaining in the land that they wanted real bread. 
right? Temptation number two. Satan somehow shows Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give you all the authority and all the glory. All you got to do is bow down to me. In other words, don't go to the cross. Don't, don't, don't go through all the, your mission that you're here to do. What's the lie? The lie Satan's saying is that the authority is mine. That this is my kingdom. It's been given to me and I can give it to who I want it to be. To, to, who I want to give it to. And Jesus is here to win this kingdom. This is his kingdom. So Jesus gives another scripture. And just a note in, the, in your bulletin, I gave you the Deuteronomy scriptures. And I flipped the second two. Okay, so, so this is actually from Deuteronomy 6.13. He says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can't bow to you. I'm going to bow to the Lord. And in fact, part of the subtle comment I think he's trying to make to Satan is, hey, actually, you're going to end up bowing to me. As part of what's going on here is a question of identity. And part of what Jesus is trying to argue with Satan about is, actually, I am the Son of God. I am the Lord. So then, Satan takes Jesus to Jerusalem. He goes up on the pinnacle of the temple. And the temple would have been uh, uh, up on a hill and then way higher than our steeple even is. And he, and he goes up there and he says throw yourself down and then satan actually quotes scripture to jesus he quotes from psalm 91 he says for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways on their hands you they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone so here satan is going to use scripture now like okay you're using scripture now i'll use scripture and he says well throw yourself off well, what's, what's the big deal here well the temple's busy there's lots of people around. Lots of people that are going to question Jesus. Okay, a lot of people that are not going to like Jesus. A lot of people that are going to try to crucify Jesus. And so what Satan's saying is do something really cool. Like do something really awesome right now. Just throw yourself down. Angels will swoop down and save you. Psalm says so. And then, you know what's going to happen? All these people are going to believe in you because you did something really cool. Well, first of all, if you track the story, Jesus does a lot of cool stuff and the people still don't believe in him. So that didn't work anyway. But also, Jesus isn't going to show off. He's not going to show off. So what does he say? He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and statutes which he has commanded you. So the, the real question here is, is Jesus calling himself Lord at this point or is he talking about the Father? He's talking about Satan, don't test me? Or is he saying, I'm not going to test God and throw myself down? Either way, I think, what Jesus is saying is, Satan, I'm not going to do this your way. I'm going to do this the way God has called me to do this. So then the text ends and the devil had ended when the devil had ended every temptation he departed for him from him until an opportune time. So what does every temptation mean? Does that mean like all three? No, I, I wonder if actually what it means is that there were a lot of other temptations. But these are just highlights. 
after all, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15, we did not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That Jesus is going through this because he's going through every temptation that we have. I think these are just highlights. And actually, these highlights fit very neatly with a verse in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, uh, John is highlighting what the world is all about. And he said, for all that is in this world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So if you look at these, look at these temptations, the lust of the eyes, well, that's really what the stone of breads is all about. Like, like, Jesus, see all these rocks? I know you're hungry. Give in to what your eyes see. Or what your, what your, what your flesh wants. Jesus, look at all these kingdoms. Give in to what your eyes want. Look, here's all these people in the temple. Throw yourself off. Like, like do something miraculous and amazing. And give yourself what your pride would want. And so I think these are highlighting how Jesus is tempted in every way as we are. So what do we make of this? Well, I think we can say four things about temptation and four things about Jesus. About temptation first. The variety of the temptation. Right? This idea of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When you feel tempted, probably you get tempted in one of those areas. It's something your flesh wants to do, something your eye wants to have, or something that your pride would say would make you look good or feel good in front of everybody else. That's really how temptation works. Right? And so, so as you look at your life and the things you're tempted to do, a lot of times they fall in those categories. And if you can recognize them and you can name them, then you can start to fight them in a little different way. Number two, look at the timing of the temptation. Okay, Satan doesn't, Satan doesn't start the temptation as soon as Jesus decides he's getting ready to fulfill his ministry. He doesn't get him at a great time. What, what Satan does is it waits for an opportune time. That's always when temptation comes. It's always when you're down. Okay, always when you could, you could argue that you feel entitled to something. Always when you feel like life is against you. That's, that's when temptation really comes. Number three, notice the lies. Each temptation, a temptation always includes a lie. And the lie is almost always the same. The lie is almost always, if you just had this, you would feel great. If you just had this, you would feel better. This, your problems would go away, at least for a little while, if you went ahead and let yourself this. That's where temptation always takes you. There's always a lie at the center of a temptation. If you can name the lie, then it's easier to recognize the temptation. But here's the problem. The problem is point number four. That a lot of times, real temptation looks okay. Like it's justifiable, like you could see how maybe you could work it out that I earned this, or I deserve this, or this could be a good thing. Okay, most temptation is not real big things. Like you've never been real tempted to murder a whole bunch of people. Like that was, that was I mean, maybe you have, stay away from me if you have, but I, I don't think for most of you, like we don't get tempted, you don't get tempted to do giant things, because you're like, no, that's bad. A lot of times temptation starts with small things. A lot of things that people do that are really, really bad, 
they started saying yes to temptations when they were really, really small and they built up. A lot of times temptations, the, the temptation that's really dangerous is the temptation that looks okay. It looks harmless. Like I could even justify it in some way, the way Satan tries to justify it with Jesus. Now, so, so this text says a lot about Satan and temptation, but I think this text actually says even more about Jesus. So let's think about a couple things. Isn't it interesting when you pay attention to the verses that Jesus are quoting here, that they come from two different chapters in Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and chapter 8. They're like all from the same area. Like in the whole Old Testament, when Jesus fights temptation, he fights with those particular verses that are that close together. We'll go back and read what's going on in Deuteronomy. You know what's going on in Deuteronomy? The people are in the wilderness. And they are in some way being tempted. They are in some way getting frustrated. They want bread. They're thinking about going back to Egypt. They want out of this wilderness. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would quote from that section of Scripture at a time when he's in the wilderness for 40 days, right after he's come across on the water of the Jordan where Israel came across when they came into the land. I mean, part of what Jesus is doing, and, and I think the synoptics are really pushing this point, is Jesus is redoing the story of Israel. Because coming across the Jordan there is, is a lot like also coming across the Red Sea and out of slavery. He's redoing Israel's story. He's starting, in fact, a new Israel. He's going through their struggles, their temptations in the wilderness, but he's going to get it right. And he's going to do things differently. So, so part of the question I think about this text is identity. And what you see is Jesus is actually really walking into his identity in this story. He is, number one, redoing the story of Israel Number two, just notice as Jesus quotes these Deuteronomy scriptures that, and I, you're gonna, you may overreact to this, but give me a second, I'll explain it. Jesus is not very good at quoting scripture. Like, go back and read Deuteronomy again, and then go back and read what John says in Luke. He is not quoting scripture. He's paraphrasing scripture. Now, in a world where he didn't have a Bible, like he, he, he didn't have a Bible to read for himself. The Bible that you read was at the, the, the synagogue. A lot of times people would memorize parts of Scripture, but a lot of times you were just kind of getting it close. But, but what I think is actually going on here, because Paul does this too, and Paul really knew his Scripture also. But it's like for Paul and for Jesus, they don't just know the verses. It's like it's such a part of who they are that when the Scripture comes out, it comes out in their own language, like in their own voice. It's like it's, the scripture's so inside of them that they can just say what it's talking about in their own words. My teacher, Len Sweet, used to talk about his, his uh, mom was a preacher and she was, a, she was from the hills of West Virginia, had this real southern, you know, West Virginia sort of draw. And he said a lot of times when he reads scripture, he reads it in that southern draw of his mother because she used to read him to read him in the table at the table all the time. Like like Jesus knows scripture so much as a part of who he is that he doesn't quote it. It comes out in his own words. So, so the key to fighting temptation is not memorizing a scripture. I've heard these sermons about this passage before. If you just knew more scripture, I don't know about that. After all, Satan seems to know scripture pretty well, and he quotes it pretty well. 
No, you, you gotta let it soak into you so that it's a part of who you are. So Jesus isn't just quoting one random scripture. He's actually referring back to a whole story of Israel and saying, I, I'm, I'm going to learn from this story. Number three about Jesus. These three temptations are really about one temptation. There's really one key thing that's, that's in all three of them. And that is the temptation to give up the plan. Give up your identity. If you really are the Son of God, no, nah, don't, don't be the Son of God. Like, why would you do that? You're hungry. You're going to go through all this pain. The real temptation of Jesus, of Satan with Jesus here is shortcut the process. Don't go to the cross. Don't do ministry for all these people that aren't going to appreciate you. Okay? Don't go hungry and fast. Don't, don't do all that. Just shortcut it right now. We'll just take care of this right here, right now. You bow to me. You can have that. People will like you. You can have your bread. Take the easy route. But, but Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because number four, he actually is the son of God. He is the Son of God. There's no if. And he doesn't turn stones to bread, but he does turn water into wine. He does turn bread into more bread. And he is the bread of life. He doesn't bow to Jesus, but guess what? When he, when he, when he goes to give to, uh, at, at the end of Luke, when he goes to, to send his disciples off at his ascension, what does he say? All authority and power has been given to me. In other words, Satan, it was never yours. It was never yours, it's mine, and now I'm giving it to the people. He is this one. Except for the Jerusalem part. This gets interesting, right? Because he is going to go to Jerusalem. But angels aren't going to protect him there. He's not going to get his foot spared from the stone. He is actually going to be crucified. He's going to go through execution. And no angel is going to protect him. Not because they can't. Not because he's, he, he couldn't call angels to get him out of that. Because he's choosing to. He's not going to cop out the way Satan's calling him to. He's going to go through this whole process. And I think the synoptic gospels are setting this whole, this whole story to set up the whole rest of the gospels. See, the point of this story is not that you fight temptation by knowing scripture well. Again, I've heard that sermon before in this text. I don't think that's what that text is really about. This text isn't about fighting temptation by knowing Scripture well. This text is about fighting temptation by knowing Jesus well. It's about fighting temptation by knowing who Jesus is. That he is the Son of God. That he fought the temptation. That he went to the cross. Didn't have angels spare him. And just like he's redoing Israel's story, he's rewalking their story and fixing it. He does the same thing for you and for me. Whatever you've done, whatever you're going to do, whatever your family history is, whatever wounds you carry through this world, Jesus is redoing your story. He's fixing it. He's rewriting it. He's rewriting my story. Praise be to him. And he knows exactly what it's like to be tempted because he has been tempted in every way that we are. So when we are tempted, it's not just about quoting a scripture. It's about making sure this scripture is a part of us. Make sure our relationship with Jesus is really tight. So when the temptation comes along, we don't say, no, I'm not going to, I can't do that because God's got plans and purposes for me and I'm not going to shortchange them by these little temptations. And I might want something that I see or I might, might want something in my flesh or my pride might say, yeah, let's go do that. But, but I'm so committed to who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do with my life that, that I can't get buried there. 
See, that's way more than fighting, than just quoting a scripture. That's saying this scripture, this, this is my story, this is my song, this is what I'm going to be, this is who God's plan is for me because of Jesus Christ. And now, when I'm tempted with how I talk to somebody, with what's on the internet, with uh, a relationship I shouldn't be in, when I'm tempted to shortchange, to shortcut, to cheat, I'm just saying to say no because I'm so wrapped up in the plan God has for me. So may you make God's word so much a part of who you are. And may, may you make God's plan so important in your life that when temptations come along, you can, you can go to the scriptures, you can go to the story, and you can say no. And those temptations can fade away because you're set on the ways of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.